The colours of the sky that time of morning were orange and blue and violet and sometimes very red and sometimes yellow or a clear colour like water on white rock. Some mornings he could see his breath on the air and some mornings he could not. But as the sun was still rising he knocked his fist on the side of the green truck and his driver, smiling and saying hello, would climb in the other side of the truck and they would drive out into the great city and go down all the streets until they came to the place where they started work. Hello and welcome to The Bradbury Chronicles, a podcast by The World Outside the Window. This podcast is a celebration of the life and work of Ray Bradbury. Each episode is going to take a look at one of his short stories and then explore its themes. It will be me interpreting the story and sharing with you my ideas about what what it's all about. I've always been really interested in the spoken word. I want to celebrate the flow and musicality of the prose. Normally I'm going to be reading the whole short story in its entirety. So if that's your thing, you can stick me in your ears, which is a bit weird, and view this as a kind of audiobook, really, and I'll try my best to uh, read that really well for you. I think reading out loud is when a story really comes to life. I read stories to my children and to my friends, uh, to my family, people in the street, people at the bus stop, anyone who will listen. And I think when we share stories, we create a community we create a shared magic and energy and spirit. The power of the spoken word can inspire us to believe there is something greater than ourselves. Whether you put that down to magic, God, whatever. The analysis in this podcast is purely my interpretations with a little bit of reading around the edges, but it is my thoughts, not an academic discourse. It's me sharing my passion for storytelling and love of Bradbury's writing style. This is how his work was. He got up at five in the cold, dark morning and washed his face with warm water if the heater was working and cold water if the heater was not working. He shaved carefully, talking out to his wife in the kitchen who was fixing ham and eggs or pancakes or whatever it was that morning. By six o'clock, he was driving on his way to work alone and parking his car in the big yard where all the other men parked their cars as the sun was coming up. The colours of the sky that time of morning were orange and blue and violet and sometimes very red and sometimes yellow or a clear colour like water on white rock. Some mornings he could see his breath on the air and some mornings he could not but as the sun was still rising he knocked his fist on the side of the green truck and his driver smiling and saying hello would climb in the other side of the truck and they would drive out into the great city and go down all the streets until they came to the place where they started work. Sometimes on the way they stopped for black coffee and then went on, the warmness in them, and they began the work which meant that he jumped off in front of each house 
and picked up the garbage cans and brought them back and took off their lids and knocked them against the bin edge, which made the orange peels and cantaloupe rinds. There were always steak bones and the heads of fish and pieces of green onion and stale celery. If the garbage was new, it wasn't so bad, but if it was very old, it was bad. He was not sure if he liked the job or not, but it was a job, and he did it well, talking about it a lot at some times, and sometimes not thinking of it in any way at all. Sometimes the job was wonderful, for you were out early, and the air was cool and fresh until you had worked too long, and the sun got hot, and the garbage steamed early, but mostly it was a job significant enough to keep him busy and calm and looking at the houses and cut lawns he passed by and seeing how everybody lived. And once or twice a month he was surprised to find that he loved the job and it was the finest job in the world. It went on just that way for many years and then suddenly the job changed for him. It changed in a single day. Later he often wondered how a job could change so much in such a few short hours. He walked into the apartment and did not see his wife or hear her voice, but she was there, and he walked to a chair and let her stand away from him, watching him as he touched the chair and sat down in it without saying a word. He sat there for a long time. What's wrong? At last her voice came through to him. She must have said it three or four times. He looked at this woman, and yes, it was his wife all right. It was someone he knew, and this was their apartment with the tall ceilings and the worn carpeting, something happened at work today, he said. She waited for him. On my garbage truck, something happened. His tongue moved dryly on his lips, and his eyes shut over his seeing, until there was all blackness and no light of any sort, and it was like standing alone in a room when you got out of bed in the middle of a dark night and think I'm going to quit my job. Try to understand. Understand, she cried. It can't be helped. This is all the strangest damn thing that ever happened to me in my life. He opened his eyes and sat there, his hands feeling cold when he rubbed his thumb and forefingers together. The thing that happened was strange. Well, don't just sit there. He took part of a newspaper from the pocket of his leather jacket. This is today's paper, he said. December 10, 1951, Los Angeles Times, Civil Defense Bulletin. It says they're buying radios for our garbage trucks. Well, what's so bad about a little music? No music, you don't understand, no music. He opened his rough hand and drew with one clean fingernail, slowly, trying to put everything there where he could see it, and she could see it. In this article, the mayor says, they'll put sending and receiving apparatus on every garbage truck in town. He squinted at his hand. After the at atom bombs hit our city, those radios will talk to us, and then our garbage trucks will go pick up the bodies. Well, that seems practical. When the garbage trucks, he said, go out and pick up all the bodies. You can't just leave bodies around, can you? You've got to take them and His wife shut her mouth very slowly. She blinked one time only, and she did this very slowly also. He watched that one slow blink of her eyes, then with a turn of her body, as if someone else had turned it for her. She walked to a chair, paused, thought how to do it, and sat down very stiff and straight. She said nothing. He listened to his wristwatch ticking, but only with a small part of his attention. At last she laughed. They were choking. He shook his head. He felt his head moving from left to right and from right to left as slowly as everything else had happened. No, they put a receiver on my truck today. They said 
at the alert, if you're working, dump your garbage anywhere. When we radio you, get in there and haul out the dead. She let it boil for five seconds and then held the arm of the chair with one hand and got up and found the door and went out. The boiling sound stopped. She stood in the door and then walked back to where he still sat, not moving his head in one position only. It's all blueprinted out. They have squads, sergeants, corporals, everything, he said. We even know where to bring the bodies. So you've been thinking about it all day, she said. All day since this morning. I thought, maybe now I don't want to be a garbage collector anymore. It used to be Tom and me had fun uh, with a kind of game. You got to do that. Garbage is bad. But if you work at it, you can make a game. Tom and me did that. We watched people's garbage. We saw what kind they had. Steak bones in rich houses. Lettuce and orange peel in poor ones. Sure, it's silly. But a guy's got to make his work as good as he can and worthwhile, or why in hell, do it. And you're your own boss, in a way, on a truck. You get out early in the morning, and it's an outdoor job anyway. You see the sun come up, and you see the town get up, and that's not bad at all. But now, today, all of a sudden, it's not the kind of job for me anymore. His wife started to talk swiftly. She named a lot of things, and she talked about a lot more. But before she got very far, he cut gently across her talking. I know, I know, the kids and school, our car, I know, he said, and bills and money and credit. But what about that farm Dad left us? Why can't we move there, away from cities? I know a little about farming. We could stock up, hold in, have enough to live on for months if anything happened. She said nothing. Sure, all of our friends are here in town, he went on reasonably. And movies and shows and the kids' friends and she took a deep breath. Can't we think it over a few more days? I don't know. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid if I think it over about my truck and my new work, I'll get used to it. And oh Christ, it just doesn't seem right. A man, a human being, should ever let himself get used to any idea like that. She shook her head slowly, looking at the windows, the grey walls, the dark pictures on the walls. She tightened her hands. She started to open her mouth. I'll think tonight, he said. I'll stay up a while. By morning, I'll know what to do. Be careful with the children. It wouldn't be good their knowing all this. I'll be careful. Let's not talk any more, then. I'll finish dinner. She jumped up and put her hands to her face and then looked at her hands and at the sunlight in the windows. Why, the kids will be home any minute. I'm not very hungry. You've got to eat. You've just got to keep on going. She hurried off, leaving him alone in the middle of a room where not a breeze stirred the curtains, and only the grey ceiling hung over him, with a lonely bulb unlit in it, like an old moon in a sky. He was quiet. He massaged his face with both hands. He got up and stood alone in the dining room door, and walked forward and felt himself sit down, and remain seated in a dining room chair. He saw his hands spread on the white tablecloth, open and empty. All afternoon, he said. I fought. She moved through the kitchen, rattled silverware, crashing pans against the silence that was everywhere. Wondering, he said, if you put the bodies in the trucks lengthwise or endwise, with the hands on the right or the feet on the right, men and women together or, or separated, children in one truck or mixed with men and women, dogs in special trucks or just let them lay. Wondering 
how many bodies one garbage truck can hold and wondering if you stack them on top of each other and finally knowing you must have to. I can't figure it. I can't work it out. I try, but there's no guessing. No guessing at all how many you could stack in one single truck. He sat thinking of how it was late in the day at his work, with the truck full and the canvas pulled over the great bulk of garbage, so the bulk shaped the canvas in an uneven mound, and how it was if you suddenly pulled the canvas back and looked in. And for a few seconds you saw the white things, like macaroni or noodles. Only the white things were alive and boiling up, millions of them. And when the white things felt the hot sun on them, they simmered down and burrowed and were gone in the lettuce and the old ground beef and the coffee grounds and the heads of white fish. After 10 seconds of sunlight, the white things that looked like noodles or macaroni were gone and the great bulk of garbage silent and not moving. And he drew the canvas over the bulk and looked how the canvas folded unevenly over the hidden collection. And underneath you knew it was dark again, and things beginning to move as they must always move when things get dark again. He was still sitting there in the empty room when the front door of the apartment burst wide. His son and daughter rushed in laughing and saw him sitting there and stopped. Their mother ran to the kitchen door, held to the edge of it quickly and stared at her family. They saw her face, and they heard her voice. Sit down, children, sit down. She lifted one hand and pushed it toward them. You're just in time. A very short and to the point story, that one. Only about five pages long. It put in my mind immediately, after having finished this story, a book by the historian Christopher R. Browning called Ordinary Man. This book is a harrowing account of how a unit of reserve police were responsible for mass shootings and the roundup of Jewish people in 1942. It explores how they could go from being reserve police one day to participants in the Holocaust the next. Browning's general argument being that most people succumb to the pressures of a group setting and commit actions they would never otherwise do on their own volition. And in this story, we see the character, the main character, wrestling with this sort of moral question. Can I do this? Is it right? Yet he has expectations from the state and from society, from his own family, that you just need to do what you're told to do. He has a horrific vision of what it might be like to do this work. We also see that put next to the fact that he quite enjoyed his job up to this point. It was sometimes mundane, but he had nice banter with his friend. Uh, and it was, you know, he was outside, he enjoyed doing it. As I say, we see him then have a horrific vision of what this job might entail to collect the bodies that have been killed from atomic war, especially the consequences of doing that when it's in the hotter weather. We see that nicely put alongside, juxtaposed with his children coming home, 
which again makes us ask ourselves as the readers what would we do what lengths would we go to protect our families and our way of lives for the first time in the stories we've covered so far we see um, an image of domesticity we haven't seen many female characters either up to this point and here we see the character's wife and we see their interplay and we see what her worries are and she's mostly concerned about him losing his job you know carrying on think of the children that sort of thing we see the recurring themes of course of technology the garbage trucks are to be fitted with radios that will give the collectors their locations where they need to go there's a sense that these machines or these kind of uh, this apparatus this technology is telling humans what to do of course we see atomic warfare looming large but it's never explained who the enemy is which is another recurring uh, trait through some of these stories we've covered so far uh, we've whether it's the martians the venusians or the beasts uh, beneath the waves often the enemy is kind of unseen or isn't the main kind of thrust or point of the story but what did you think i'd be really interested in knowing your thoughts you can now go to the world outside the window facebook page and join the bradbury chronicles forum so if you did have an idea for what we should cover or you had some interesting thoughts about this story you can ask to join that group and share your thoughts in in the forum got some exciting episodes coming up um we've got some hopefully some guests who will be appearing on the the show we've got a few surprises as well so we've got a, a couple of i guess bonus episodes that i've got planned that are in the works so those will be coming soon and hopefully i'm aiming to this year release a podcast at least one podcast a month if i can do but that's the aim and i look forward to hearing from you and see you again soon thank you for listening to this episode of the bradbury chronicles a podcast by the world outside the window you can find out more about me and read some of my own work at www.theworldoutsidethewindow.com. You can follow me on Instagram at theworldoutsidethewindow for poetry, photography, and the occasional musical interlude. Or you can email me at wotwhq at gmail. You can find this podcast at all the usual places. And if you fancy leaving me a review, they're always very welcome. Uh, as long as they are generally positive. Take care.